0: You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome to episode 105 of the Pemkron Warhammer podcast. And I am Pemkron, in case you were wondering, which you probably weren't. So, what are we talking about tonight? We only have two segments because they, boy, did they run on long. I chill out with Cron Jr. on Want That or Want That Not, and we have a very lengthy talk about the Half Moon Bay Warhammer 40K and Age of Sigmar merchandise on their website which is all officially licensed, and whether or not we want some of that or all of that or none of that, we talk about prices and quality and some odd odd item choices for them to personalize. And we had fun with that, so that, that drug on a, a bit long. And then I got to rambling during Real Talk on the Pimpcron, <laughs> Real Talk on the Pimpcron, and I wanted to discuss the Death of Guild Ball. That's right. Guild Ball from Steamforge Games is being shut down, and I feel like it is a cautionary tale for anybody. If you believe their side of the story, their side of the story could be potentially viewed as kind of BS, and there's probably another reason behind it, but they have a lot to say on that. I cover on what they say. I cover a bit on the game and the community and figure out how that applies to Games Workshop or My Game Brutality and that is essentially the episode. Both of those segments run on for quite some time, and I uh, I just went on a roll, so suck it. Anyway, what have I been up to this week? Well, I played another rematch of my Chaos Space Marines versus Sisters of Battle, and I beat Just James again. Once again, he... Yeah, it was not a good matchup. And I thought I was doing better as far as my... Uh my list. I thought, oh well, I'm going a little easier on them. Let's try this, and come to find out, it may not have been any better at all. But it was our first ninth edition game, and the Chaos Space Marines versus Sisters of Battle are now two to one our current grudge match, and it was a good game. I uh, played a game of Brutality just a couple hours ago with my son Kron Jr., and that was a lot of fun, and we played against the AI using the solo rules. I need to take this time to send a special thank you and a special shout out to Leroy Jenkins online. And uh, he was super nice to me for my birthday, and he really made my week and made my day. So, Leroy, thank you for being such a great person, and you know what you did. So let's get on with the show. Want that or want that not? Hey everybody, it's time for Want That or Want That Not, and today I am joined by my oldest of offspring, Kron Jr.
1: Welcome back, kids.
0: (laughs) And uh, so today I decided to do a little bit different of a something or other, and we went to one of Games Workshop's licensed merchandise websites called Half Moon Bay, which is odd, but they have a ton of different stuff, and what would you describe some of the stuff as on their website?
1: Um, well, some of them are a bit random, like they'll have a metallic space marine bowl. <laughs> just just one bowl.
0: It's a bowl, for, yeah.
1: For like $21. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: they also have one that we were talking about earlier, which I find a little odd, is a 40k just notebook. And I mean that's, you know, a notebook. Wow, that's that's okay. But fourteen dollars yeah, for a notebook?
1: That, that's that's a bit much.
0: That's crazy.
1: Also, for some reason they have a toolbox.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't get this toolbox. It's a twenty-three dollar metal tin toolbox.
1: With the Warhammer logo on it.
0: And Yuck. it and it says danger gets hot and it looks like an ammunition thing. And I mean, twenty-three dollars is not too too bad for a metal tin box. But I don't know what it's actually supposed to be for. It doesn't have shelves in it. It doesn't even have a carrying handle. And it's called a toolbox, which to me is like, this is not a toolbox. A toolbox would have a lid that hinges and has a handle and have little compartments and all that.
1: Wait, does it have a hinged lid or is it just like No, it's just a tin. What?
0: It just pops off, yeah. Alright,
1: I don't think it's worth $23, honestly.
0: Uh, So it is... 25 inches wide? It's two feet wide? Huh. Okay, so two feet wide and about a foot and a half deep. Or, or, uh, long. We'll say 20, okay. Two feet long and a foot and a half wide and almost 10 inches. Wait, this is in centimeters. Oh, no. Uh... (laughs) Ah. Us in America town no! use, uh,
1: you know, customary.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay, well, I don't even know what this is now. Nine ce- centimeters, what even is that? <laughs> yeah, they're just making up. The- I think
1: that's like five inches or something.
0: Nine centimeters, they might as well be saying 9.5 of of deepness. I have no idea what they're saying. What is a centimeter? I don't know. It's a measure of time, I think. It's, it's
1: like it's like measuring things in Kelvin. It's it, like
0: exactly. This is twenty five point five Kelvin wide. What? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's okay. I'm sorry. It's I just assumed because we're on the U S website that because they specifically asked us, do yeah, you this, want to be on the U S yeah, website? Yeah,
1: we're on the U S website.
0: Yeah. This is this is digital America, and <laughs> and we don't do no metric. That's that's rude. Anyway uh, so they ambushed us with our with their fancy metric yeah and uh, so now I don't even know what's what now it's 25 centimeters wide and 17 centimeters tall
1: For anybody who lives outside of the US and understands uh metric please let us know
0: <laughs> yeah I don't know if this is a phone number or like is this someone's name 9.5 centimeters I don't know what I can't even wrap my head around what that might be. So I don't even, I honestly don't know the dimensions of this now, and I will be darned if I go to Google and try to translate metric to standard, because this is God's country. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't do that here. So anyway, we've, we've gone off on this tirade, but um, there's a... Uh, I mean, the, the notebooks are kind of cool, but they're a little pricey. $16 for one notebook.
1: Yeah. 14
0: for a Chaos one. Also, uh,
1: the thing is, why is a Space Marine book that is literally the same thing as the Chaos book, just with different things, uh, cost like $2 more? Uh, you
0: know, I don't know. The Space Marine one, it even says A5 notebook, so it's the same size notebook, same page size <laughs> and the Space Marine one is $16. The Chaos one is 14
1: Seem a little cash grabby there.
0: <laughs> so, uh, this one could very well... There's a, a beer canteen, Space Marine beer canteen, and nothing about it says Space Marine to me. It's, it's a giant white it's skull. It's just
1: a giant white skull that happens to sometimes be a Space Marine logo on the shield or something. If
0: I were to see that, I would assume it was Punisher. Yeah. From Marvel Comics, it's not quite the Punisher logo, but it's a white skull and black background. Yeah. So, uh, they sell a bunch of bowls for sixteen dollars, or like the metal one you mentioned for twenty one. I mean, these bowls are kind of cool looking. Uh, I don't know if I'd buy them for sixteen, but uh, the thing
1: that kind of makes me a bit queasy. There's a Blood Angels bowl that's red, and that when I think about that, that thinks reminds me of blood pudding and stuff like that.
0: Oh, now, see, we've already offended the people in the UK, and now you're dissing blood pudding. Oh. They love that stuff over there. They do? Yeah, they do. So, uh, this is, uh, at first I was like, wow, two cups for $12, that's awesome.
1: They're egg cups.
0: Egg cups, what? (laughs) Two, what?
1: Two egg cups. (laughs) Two
0: egg cups, do you... Do I pour the egg in this? <laughs> do, like, I,
1: do I put the shell in there and then just tip it and I eat the shell? I,
0: I don't know. I just pour a raw egg in it and I drink it. That's that's how we do that. I don't even know what an egg cup is.
1: I think I saw it once in a cartoon and I don't even know how they did it. Like So... He just he just sticks his spoon in the egg and he eats the
0: egg. <laughs> Dude, I don't know. There's so many confusing things here. I thought this was Murica and it's not. So there's there's some culture shock here. Uh now that metallic mug for 21, that's pretty cool. I like that metallic mug.
1: Yeah, that looks pretty cool.
0: Uh the Space Marine, there's a Space Marine shaped head mug. Not really a fan of it. Looks kinda derpy.
1: Yeah, um also there is a mug that uh it. I mean, it looks a bit taller and holds a bit more stuff. It's a but stein. It's a stein. Uh, what? How big is a stein?
0: I don't know, but it's much. It's it's for like it's like a big mug for beer. Oh, it's a stein. I don't know how much how many ounces that is or whatever.
1: Mm. Well. Uh, or how
0: many millikajubles or whatever the metric version of ounces is, right? Sorry. <laughs> uh, I think it's about seventeen metric mega kajubles. I think and the mega
1: (laughs) mega (laughs) berts.
0: It's a it's a megabert. Uh. So anyway, they've got a bunch of stuff here. I think that their prices are slightly bordering expensive, but I don't think any of that's not doable. They've got blood angels. They've got dark angels. They've got ultramarine space marine. Uh, space wolves.
1: There's an age of sigmar steen. Now there was like a thirty four dollars steen up here. for- stein for ultramarines yeah and down here is a age of sigmar one for sixty one dollars oh Take my god! what you said about the borderline expensive oh
0: my gosh
1: remember what i said about sixty-one
0: <laughs> but like these mugs for 16 bucks um the ultramarines blood angels dark angels space wolves mugs um they're cool i mean the ultra the age of sigmar one right here is pretty cool for six seventeen dollars yeah,
1: it's, it's detailed
0: um I I guess what I'm saying is, is that some of this, all of it is borderline a little pricey. Like, these keychains range from $5 to $9 for a keychain. Yeah. Which is a bit pricey. But none of it's, except for the $61 Stein, (laughs) none of it's really, like, crazy out of this world.
1: Wait, a pencil case?
0: Yes, they have a pencil case for $22. (laughs) crying out loud, man. All
1: it is is just a little logo.
0: You know, the problem with that is you buy this pencil case, right? You take it to school. Not only are you showing, you're advertising to everyone that you're a nerd, but you're also advertising that you are bad with money. (laughs) (laughs) I paid $22.
1: You know, I know some people that can just easily 3D print that logo for like cents.
0: Now, 3D printing is kind of a bad word when it comes to GW. I don't think they like that word.
1: Oh, how but, about, um, recasting stuff?
0: Oh, don't do that. You're gonna... Uh-oh. Wait. Police! Oh, no. <laughs> Games Workshop <laughs> heard that. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, they've got a bunch of pins and stuff. All in all, I don't think this is too bad. The prices are a little on the high side, but they're, I mean, they're custom, Whatever. They've got some neat stuff. Some bowls, some steins, some notebooks, some pencil case for some reason. An egg cup. I don't even know. <laughs> uh, but here's my problem. My main problem with all this. It's not really the price. It's not really the thing. They've got all these enamel pins and stuff. It's not the merchandise and it's not the price necessarily. My problem with it is the images they've chosen to, to use. Like this Blood Angels logo...
1: Wait, that one, right here, that yeah. Blood Angels
0: logo, that is an old logo you would see from like 3rd edition. It's not what? it's not like a new modern Blood Angels logo. Like, all of this looks like 2nd edition Yeah, whatever. that looks
1: like like from the 80s.
0: Yeah, that's and look at this old man, I've always hated that Space Wolves logo, yeah, that really look, old logo. It doesn't look good. Yeah, and um the Ultramarines, all of this is highly cartoony like you'd see in the 90s. I guess what I'm saying is all of the, uh, all of the images they used for these products are extremely 1990s. They the quality of the image and all of that. I mean, if you've got nostalgia for the 90s, sure, but um, although
1: that that mug that Space Marine head mug, the
0: derpy one where yeah. he's been lobotomized,
1: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, he looks just. It looks kind of bad paint job if you look at it like on the computer screen.
0: Yeah. There's a couple of them that I think look better. The Inquisition one, the changing tankard, it starts out I guess black and as it's getting hot or cold it changes to an image. That one looks pretty cool. I think that's a newer looking logo image. I think it looks pretty cool. That Ultramarine Stein looks like, man that looks like out of the 90s or the 80s. It does not look very good. Yeah,
1: it looks... Yeah, I don't and
0: know. And what's also funny to me is that all of these images are of regular space marines. Now, that's not going to matter much to you, uh, Kron Jr., but none of them are the Primaris marines. The new marines, Yeah, they have a very different looking helmet than the standard tactical what are, marines. What
1: are the new uh, cool ones look like?
0: They just look different. I can show you a picture after oh, this, but okay. they don't have that open mouth like... See where this mug looks like he's being lobotomized, and he's screaming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they don't, they don't do that. Uh, so, all in all, I think some of these, some of the Age of Sigmar images look better. Like this mug looks pretty cool. Uh, certainly not the sixty-one dollar Stein. <laughs> Does that just say cookies?
1: <laughs> no, I think that's talking about <laughs> their like, they're like, you know, cookies yeah, I ensure Sure, you I get know. the best.
0: The, this is a white website. And it just popped up a white square on top of a white website. And it lines up the way I'm scrolling. It lines up perfectly to say that the Age of Sigmar Stein for $61 is just cookies. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, all in all, I think there's some good things, good takeaways from this. I would say that the Inquisition mug looks pretty cool. It's a modern image. Yeah. I think the Age of Sigmar mug is pretty cool, modern image. And if you're a diehard fan for one of these Space Marine chapters, uh, Dark Angels, Blood Angels, Space Wolves, or Ultramarines, and you have a soft spot for the 90s look for those logos, those really old logos...
1: Then this would be for you. Then this
0: is for you. Other than that, I don't see... I could see getting that metal metal mug, though. That metal mug's yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, I
1: mean... Not in a million years would I ever, uh, you know, get a lobotomized space marine, but...
0: I would like to drink out of the skull of a lobotomized space marine. (laughs) So, all in all, I don't find this very appealing. Especially for the price. If it was cheaper, heck, instead of $16 for a bowl, and it was $10, I'd be like, eh.
1: Instead of $7 for an egg cup. For an egg
0: cup! Some of this merchandise is just so random, a card holder,
1: a card holder, a
0: card holder, and what?
1: then there's a uh one of those notebooks.
0: Yeah, there's the um, yeah, Age of Sigmar notebooks too. So, anyway, all in all, are you impressed by this, or are you not impressed by it?
1: Um, there's some cool cool things like the uh, silver bowl and cup. I mean, I wouldn't yeah. pay twenty dollars per se for it. Twenty one dollars. But they're pretty cool looking. I don't... See, I don't really care for the old logos as well. Yeah. And, um... It kind of feels like with the toolbox, it'd be cool to get, um... Like, one of those, but basically the, like... It'd basically just be the toolbox... You'll have to, like, put your models, and you'll have to pay for the foam, so... You'd have to put foam in it, You'd yeah. have to put foam in it and all that, so it basically just... yeah.
0: Yeah, and unfortunately, because they used metric, there is no possible way for me to find out the dimensions of this, so... I guess it's just lost to time.
1: Yeah, I guess.
0: It's lost technology, I have no idea. I'm not gonna risk it. Anyway, all in all, I find this to be kind of lackluster, but there's a couple gems in it that might be worth getting. Like you said, the metal bowl, the metal mug, a couple of the mugs look pretty cool. $61 tankard (laughs) that is sometimes labeled cookies, I'm not, I am not a fan of. I mean,
1: I might want to drink eggs out of an egg cup.
0: Oh, raw eggs out of the egg cup. Yeah, like our tradition, we drink them at midnight. That would be... Next time we drink of the ovum of a chicken. Uh, we- <laughs> anyway. All right, well, thank you for being on Cron Jr.
1: You are welcome.
0: I am welcome. You're right. I am welcome
1: for once. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, uh, that was a want that kind of. Yeah. W- want that a little? <laughs>
1: want that somewhat.
0: Want some of that is what. But this definitely
1: is. not the $61 Steen.
0: <laughs> no, it's a it's a Stein, by the way. It's a Stein. Alright, bye. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimpcron. Hey everybody, it's Real Talk with the Pimpcron, and today I want to discuss something that's very, very interesting to me. On August 10th it was announced that Guild Ball would be closed forever. Now, some of you will be asking exactly what Guild Ball is. And I was only kind of aware of Guild Ball. It's not really in my area. I do know of different clubs like up in PA and whatnot that played Guild Ball and things like that. Essentially, Guild Ball is from Steam Forge Games, is the company that makes it, And it is in the same vein as Blood Bowl. It is not football. It is... I shouldn't say its It's not American football. It is soccer. And it is basically... Their pitch meeting... Their pitch line for it is soccer with axes. And you punch people and you hit people and whatever. It's got apparently a lot of lore behind it. It's got all these different factions like the Masons and the Blacksmiths and the Rat Catchers and all this stuff. So... Ever since the announcement that they were ending Guild Ball, that got me kind of interested because I wanted to learn more about the whole thing behind Guild Ball and exactly what this story means because any company can come out and go, oh yeah, we're shutting down or we're closing a product line or whatever, but that if you're not aware of what that is exactly, it doesn't really have much impact on you. It doesn't mean much. But as I began to look more and more into this, it actually began to mean more and more to me. And I find it very, very fascinating. So this Real Talk with the Pempcron is partially an analysis of game balance and the gaming community at large. It is also partially a look at the corporate workings of exactly what game companies do and what they should or should not do and how they should handle a situation like this. So let's start off by giving you a small synopsis of exactly what Guild Ball is and how it started because that's pretty relevant to the story. So, the story for Steamforged Games is the underdog tale that we all love to hear, and it's definitely a successful tale. Definitely a story of triumph and success. On March 22nd, 2014, Guild Ball was successfully funded on Kickstarter. It had 890 backers and made like £93,000 in profit on that. Now they had an interesting way of doing things they didn't lock their rules behind you know you have to buy the book or whatever they gave their rules out for free and they even gave you paper dolls if you didn't want to buy the models or you wanted to test out a character or a model or whatever they even had these like little standy dolls that you could download and print out and use and that's pretty cool not to mention their actual board you could pretty much approximate I mean You really should have the board, but it's kind of irrelevant at that point. But what they were doing back in 2014 was something that I think this is even before GW was doing it, because I can't off the top of my head recall when Age of Sigmar came out, 2017, I think, 2016. But they gave all their rules off for free. They said, hey, you know, of course, they wanted you to use their models, but they wanted people to try it. And... Over the course of the next six years, it will be expanded upon by their uh, four major people, Rich, Matt, Jamie, and Sherwin. And some of them were actual creators of it, and some of them were just developers hired on to expand it. In the next six years, it got quite a big following for such an indie company and such an indie game. And they ended up with four seasons, which is essentially the progression of their backstory, their lore. Each season would be, you know, how all these different guilds are fighting or betraying each other or turning their back on their own guild or whatever. And it was apparently a pretty interesting story. Now, I may get portions of this wrong, because I am not a Guild Ball fan, but I am definitely fascinated by this story, and honestly, I feel like it's a cautionary tale for Games Workshop and for My Game Brutality and all of those. So, they ended up, over four seasons, they ended up expanding to 17 different armies, which are guilds, and they had over 250 miniatures, which is pretty crazy for a startup company that is only, what, six years old? (laughs) Like... That's pretty awesome, right? And especially in this highly saturated market and with a million larger companies in it and things like that. So they're truly the underdog. Now, starting September 1st, they will no longer be selling any of their Guild Ball products. And it's basically, look, we're shutting down Guild Ball. This is the rest of our stock. When it's sold, it's sold, period. And the article they released goes on to explain exactly uh, how this game developed and how it's gone downhill. And I'm not really sure if I should say the game has gone downhill, but the community has become apparently kind of toxic. So you'll, you'll hear the whole story behind this, but it's very, very interesting. So let's dig in. So after officially launching their first box set, which was called Kickoff, It apparently sold like hotcakes. They couldn't keep them on the shelves. Um, Every single stocking was immediately sold out in stores. And in a short space of time, Guild Ball was known for its balance and clean rules. And it was entertaining and it was quick to play. And it even started breaking into America because it started out in Europe and it became like this this thing. I mean, an actual name that people would know in the communities, even if you didn't play Guild Ball, you're like, oh, I know somebody that plays Guild Ball, or I've heard of people playing Guild Ball. And it continued to grow in popularity, and they started stepping up the you know, scale and size of the development teams and hiring on new people, and apparently they expanded quite a bit. They apparently had some issues in the very beginning as far as They wanted plastic models. They started out with metal models. They had a hard time. They ended up settling on resin models and that sort of thing. Just the typical growing pains of a company. But one of the issues that was also one of the greatest triumphs of the game, and that was the fact that it was very, very tight rule set. It was very good and balanced, and it made skill the complete thing that would win the game. If you knew how to stack things in your favor, if you knew how to metagame, if you knew how to pick the best models, you would essentially just win hands down. And apparently, I've watched a bunch of how to play these and all of that, there, were, there was some dice rolling involved, but there was definite ways that you could minimize any variance and flatten any probability there was. Whereas games like Warhammer, have they heavily rely on dice. Because that kind of, even if you stack things in your favor, that's going to have a some room for error. And just like when you go to roll to hit, right? You roll to hit, some of those are going to be misses. Then you roll to wound, some of those are not going to wound. Then they roll to save it, some of those are going to be saved. It kind of averages everything out, whereas Guild Ball had far fewer rolls to make. And that made each role much more important, and then you could also get around the idea of any randomness at all and make it very, very predictable. To the point where, in some cases, you could look at two lists and go, oh, this guy's definitely going to win because of the list. There's actually no chance for the other person to win. And I don't know of that exactly happening in Warhammer, partially for the sake of, and this goes for brutality too, partially for the sake of terrain. In Guild Ball, there was no terrain, they're on a a field. So there's no such thing as, you know, moving around terrain, under terrain, on terrain, through terrain, line of sight blocking, all that, they really didn't exist. So what it ends up being is, if you played a game of Warhammer, and it was just a completely flat open field, and you fought your opponent like that. And that makes it really hard. I know Blood Bowl tries to tone that down quite a bit, and it seems like this new edition of Blood Bowl is... Fairly balanced and fairly fairly fun, but once again, it is quite random. And of course there's ways to metagame Blood Bowl and things like that, and some characters are better than others and whatnot, but all in all, Blood Bowl is quite random because of all the dice rolling. Even if you stack them in your favor, they're still going to be quite random. Well, apparently, because Guild Ball was so tight-ruled and so strategic and really, really rewarded you for knowing how to play the game and how to assemble a list and how to use it. It ended up shutting out new players. It ended up making it so that... uh, One of the creators actually says that Blood Bowl was such a strategic game, you win your first demo game and then you lose your next 100 games. That's how how tough it was and how tight it was. And competitive players actually started developing a... I would say toxicity in the community where anything they tried to do to add creativity to the game or to add new models or new factions or whatever, it instantly became a situation where they were either deemed, oh, this new model is either OP and it definitely needs to be included. It's an auto-take in every single list. Or if it was anywhere below OP, they would say, oh, that's garbage tier and don't take it. And it essentially became the most competitive players and the most whack players would end up playing this game. And it was very, very difficult to have a fluffy, casual, fun game with this rule set because it was so darn tight and had so little variance in it. So that's a very, very interesting thing to me because, of course, I have my own skirmish game and, of course, I like to look at the health and safety of Warhammer and how that goes. and. It's very interesting because the company clearly tried to add fluff and add variants and all of that to the game, but the players were so hyper-competitive that they would essentially just... Everything was either auto-take or it was trash, and there was no, I guess, spirit of creativity. There was no spirit of, hey, let's just have a fun game. And I'm talking in platitudes, obviously, that seems like... I'm talking in general, and clearly I am. Obviously, I'm sure there were some clubs where people went easy on each other and they just had fun for fun's sake. But according to the owners, this was essentially what the community became. It was very, very competitive and not super fun. And it got to the point where people realized that they would do better if they did super low-risk ultra, ultra conservative play styles where they would like deliberately sideline the ball and knock it out of bounds so that nobody else could get the ball and things like that. And it ends up giving everybody the feel-bads, essentially. And the creators were not happy, apparently, with this at all. And they claim they always knew this was going to happen. From the beginning, they said Guild Ball had a certain shelf life and they wanted to avoid the game collapsing under its own weight through power creep, or through number of models, or things like that. And they kind of wrote themselves into a corner as far as that goes. I'm not really sure how much I believe of this story exactly from the owner's perspective, because why would you make a super, super tight rule set with very little variance and very little creativity, and it was very by-the-book and very mathematical and very predictable, and then be mad that people... Play it predictably and play it mathematically and play it competitively. Like you you created this game to be completely that. And then you apparently are blaming your customers because they used it that way. I feel like there's going to be a lot of people pissed off at them over this. And they not only blame their community for the way the game turned out. But they also blame COVID-19, which I kind of call bullshit on, because they say, oh, you know, sales were down. Okay, yeah, sales were down, but are you, like, in a shit ton of, of debt? Is that what you're doing? Because then you're not running your business correctly, in my opinion, because you should be somewhat conservative and be able to pay your bills and not just be swimming in debt in order to run a business. If that is the case, then that's their own doing, and that's too bad. But it does not seem like they're swimming in debt. And the reason why I say this is because they have many, many... Or actually, this could prove it. I guess depends on which way you look at it. They have many other games besides Guild Ball. It's not just Guild Ball on their lineup. And they have a bunch of licensed games. They have a Dark Souls card game. They have a Dark Souls board game... They have um, Horizon Zero Dawn is a board game, which Horizon Zero Dawn is a video game, obviously. Uh, Resident Evil 2 board game. And then they have something called God Tier, which I don't know what that is. And they also have Animal Adventures, which is essentially a DD and d thing with, with puppies and kittens and things. It seems to me like they don't want to put the energy and the resources and the effort Into revamping Guild Ball because what they claim is that they're going to piss off their entire community if they try to revamp it and make it a little more random and a little more fun for new players. But what do you think you're doing by just closing the product line completely? Now, if you think about this logically, closing the product line completely means now you have zero fan base. But if you were to revamp the game and make it more friendly and more open for new players, I feel like at least some of them would hang around, you know, I mean, probably the majority of them, honestly, but you know, it seems like a cop out to me that they're blaming their customers. They blame the coronavirus and they blame the community at large. And it just seems like there's more to this story. Now, of course, of course, If you have a bunch of these licensed games like Dark Souls and Resident Evil and Horizon Zero Dawn and all of this stuff, that costs money to buy the license to make that game. So it's possible they really are swimming in debt and the coronavirus has impacted them more and they're trying to shut down and slough off anything they can as far as IP or whatever. But that also doesn't make a whole lot of sense because you're making money off this IP arguably it's assumed that you're making money off selling these miniatures and the new seasons and all of that so i don't really know why is it really costing you anything to keep guild ball alive how about you just don't upgrade it for a year you know you don't update it you let people play it out whatever and maybe you kind of like games workshop did with kill team you open up a new avenue Of playing Guild Ball. Like oh look here's the fun casual side of it. And then you've got your competitive side of it. Kind of like Kill Team is your small introduction force. And then you can play regular 40k if you feel like it. I don't think I completely believe their statements. And it seems to me like they've probably put a lot of money into buying all these licenses for other games. And now they have to focus on those games. Or they're going to lose their money. And they have a current Kickstarter right now. I think it was, um, I think it was Dark Soul. No, it's Horizon Zero Dawn is currently an open Kickstarter. And they keep doing Kickstarters and things like that. They've also expanded into doing, I think it's called Epic Adventures. It's a Dungeons and Dragons mission pack. And they've done several of them. And apparently they're trying to get on the hype train for Dungeons and Dragons. Which is fine. But the point is, is I don't entirely by the story of exactly how or why they're closing this product line this is the product line that started them off you feel like even if you just let it sit for a year and you concentrated on things that might make you more money that it would piss off less people than to literally just shut down the game now in the same breath that they say they're going to shut down the game they also say, oh, we're going to finish the lore for the fifth season and we're going to close that story out and we're going to leave this on the table for potentially coming back to Guild Ball in future years. But once again, I don't know why you would do that if you could just leave it open now and sure, they might be upset if they don't get updated for a year or whatever while you concentrate on other games, but it would not be as offensive to your players. And this seems like a big fu. This seems like not only are they blaming the customers for the way that their game was used, but they're also taking their ball and going home, if you'll excuse that horrible metaphor and pun. They are essentially just shutting shop, and I don't know why. But that does bring up some very interesting things. With the idea of fostering a highly competitive community... That is kind of a cautionary tale if you're going to take all this at face value. Games Workshop is stepping more and more and more into competitive Warhammer. And at some points they even seem like they want to make it like an e-sport or something like that. Not an e-sport, but you know what I mean. Like Magic the Gathering is covered by different channels and things. And... Games Workshop is getting more and more input from competitive players and tournament organizers and all that. And in one hand, that's really good because hopefully that will bring some balance to the game because Games Workshop is not great at balance. I think we all know that by now. But on the other hand, this could swing it. And I'm, I'm saying the likelihood of this is not good. I don't think the likelihood of Games Workshop going down this certain rabbit hole and having such a tightly constructed rule set that... Everything is either auto-win or auto-fail, and it's highly competitive. I don't foresee that because of the simple structure of how Warhammer is structured and the game rules and all of that as far as the hit and the wound and the save and the blah, 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 blah. So I don't think that's ever going to happen, but I'm just saying if you take it to the extreme, they get more and more input from competitive players and tournament organizers and and then the game gets more and more and more highly competitive. So hopefully they kind of pump the brakes a little bit and try to stay middle of the lane. They try to cater to flush, fluff and casuals. And then they also try to cater to competitives. But having said that, I really feel like they've already done that. I really feel like Games Workshop is in a pretty good place right now. I feel like they are catering to competitors, and that's why we have things like organized tournament play, or we have matched play rules. Then, you can play narrative games, you can play open war or open play, and things like that that will bring in narrative players. Not to mention, they do all sorts of campaigns and narrative missions and things like that, so it feels like Games Workshop is dodging this guild ball bullet by not only having a very random game that is a lot of steps in every action that you take, which helps you know, make more of a bell curve of averages. But also, they seem to actively be trying to cater to both sides, the competitive and the casual, which is a great thing, I think. The competitive players want a more balanced game, and honestly, I think everybody wants a more balanced game. The casual players want avenues in order to be casual in a balanced game, which I think Games Workshop is also fostering. So either way, I think it's great. In the vein of brutality you could say there are some similarities between guild ball and brutality except that brutality is famous everybody has told me that there's three players in the game of brutality there is player one there's player two and then there's the dice and for crying out loud that is the truth while we do have a couple steps you know of failure like if you're attacking someone you roll to hit you might miss that then they roll to save it. They might not save it. Matter of fact, in most cases, they're likely to not save it. And then you roll wound chart, which of course, they're already getting a damage dealt to them, but you may not get any other benefit. You could roll a one or whatever on the wound chart. Or they could critically save it. So I have always liked the idea of exploding dice in dice mechanics. I played Firestorm Armada for a while, and I love that sixes exploded into extra hits. And I just love that. So my game, Brutality, is very based around, you know, your averages are not great for a lot of stuff. You know, the average melee person before any upgrades hits on a 50%. Like, that's, that's not great. It's not terrible, but it's not great. Then, of course, you've got all sorts of buffs, and you've got strategic buffs from being in your, in your position when you started your charge and things like that. Like your rear arc advantages and whatnot. Then you also have your upgrades, which give you more advantages, obviously. But something I also included in order to average this out is that critical successes and critical failures. So, for instance, you always have to stay two inches from the other models. So when you go to charge, you always fail on a one, unless you have some sort of ability that that limits that, like lightning reflexes, which gives you plus two to your charge. Then you couldn't fail it. But in general... You have to stay two inches away and you have to get into base contact in order to finish your charge move. So the roll of a one, the natural roll of a one, is going to keep you from charging. The natural roll of a 10 is going to give your opponent a wound chart roll with no saves right off the bat before combat even starts because you just slammed into them so hard. The critical hit in a melee or ranged attack deals two hits instead of one. A critical save saves two wounds instead of one. A critical wound roll, wound chart roll, a critical failure of one does nothing. A critical wound chart roll of 10 does an extra damage in addition to the damage you already did. So you see where a lot of times this game can, my game can explode and swing in crazy ways. Like for instance, my son and I were just playing a game of brutality an hour ago and we were playing a co-op mission against the AI, and we were lagging behind. The AI was beating us one to uh, one to four, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot in that game. But the cool thing is, is the game is very swingy. So in two turns, they were beating us four to one. Then in one turn, we were able to swing it back four to four, and then at the very end. They got two more points, and we got one more point, and they beat us six to five. But it was still a very swingy, very fun game, and the dice will screw you just as quickly as anything else. Of course, I've said a million times that game mechanics are probably my true passion in life. I love game mechanics, and I love probability and balance and things like that, and what you can do creatively in that mechanism. So it's very interesting to me that... These three games, Brutality, Warhammer, and Guild Ball, all handle game mechanics very different. Guild Ball is very A plus B equals C sort of thing with very little variance, and it's very predictable in a lot of cases. Games Workshop is like, hey, let's dump a crap ton of dice on the table and let the dice sort out the averages for everything. My game is very few dice rolls, But there's multiple steps in it, like Games Workshop, but there's very few dice rolls with a lot of pluses and minuses because of what you've done and what abilities you have and whatever, but then you always have the chance of that critical save, or that critical hit, or that critical on the wound chart roll, or in your willpower rolls, I didn't even mention that, your willpower rolls for powers, a critical one, the power goes off twice, critical 10, you have an aneurysm and lose a hit point when no saves. You know, it's very, very swingy. And there's really no way to mitigate most of that. You will always, you will never get better than an 80% chance. A 1 will do great, a 10 will do terrible, or whatever. And it's just very fascinating to me how these three different games are all very different. Another aspect of brutality compared to Guild Ball and Warhammer is that Warhammer and Guild Ball, you would choose your team and you have models and abilities in that team. So they had to worry very much about each team being balanced because once you choose your guild or once you choose your faction, they have to make sure those things work in a certain aspect in the greater meta versus all the other armies. Well, Brutality, everybody is essentially out of the same codex. Everybody has the same exact options. So if one thing is super crazy awesome, which nothing really is compared to other things, then anybody can take that. But if your Space Marines right now in the meta are super hot crazy and you only play Dark Eldar, well, guess what? You're just going to get creamed. There's no option to bring Space Marines with your Dark Eldar unless you just want to start playing Space Marines. So... It's very fascinating to me, all of the different variants that games can have, and all the different variants in essentially trying to do the same thing. I bring models, you bring models, let's duke it out and win through strategy and dice rolling. But it can be done in so many, many different ways. So I feel like this Guild Ball story, while it is a little fishy, I find it fascinating and I do find it somewhat sad. Steamforge games are not going out of business. They've got tons of other licensed games and things like that. But I almost feel in my heart of hearts that they. It's <laughs> okay. It's kind of like Steamforge games got remarried. Okay. They divorced Guild Ball's mother. Let's just say Steamforge games is a dude. They divorced Guild Ball's mother. And then they remarried to all these licensed games. And all these licensed games have their own children. And Steamforge Games loves these new children more than their own children. Because he's sucking up to his new spouse. Called Licensed Games. And I feel like that's it. I feel like Guild Ball's kind of kicked to the curb and forgotten about. But it's kind of one of those situations where you're forgetting your roots. Because Guild Ball's what made you a company, for crying out loud. And you're just going to, like, discard it, even though you got plenty of fans and tons of tournament circuits and all that. So, I kind of call bullshit on their story, but if you're going to take it at face value, it's very fascinating how a community could allegedly kill a game with their gatekeeping and their toxicity and their hyper-competitiveness. If you take it at face value, that is pretty darn fascinating. So, I think that's it. Thank you for all my Patreon sponsors. I greatly appreciate it. I love you all, and uh, I will catch you next Monday. Toodles!